Hey there, and welcome to episode five of the Beneath the Sats podcast produced by Wicked Local North Boston. I'm your host, Rob McKittrick. I'm excited to welcome in Section 10 podcast co-host and Bleacher Report content producer Steve Peralta to the podcast. Steve, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I'm happy to do it. Now, as I mentioned, you are one of the hosts of the popular Barstool Sports Red Sox podcast, the Section 10 podcast, which is hosted by you, Jared Carabas, and Coley Mick. So, Steve, I wanted to start with the podcast. It's gotten so popular, especially over the last year, uh, during the big Red Sox World Series run, that you guys were doing a podcast in front of live crowds at bars in Boston multiple times. <laughs> what was that experience like for you guys? Uh, that was awesome. I mean, going into it, we obviously had the benefit of the fact the Red Sox are in the playoffs. So they're in the playoffs. They're the favorite to come out of the American League. So we knew there would be a lot of people in the area, a lot of buzz around Fenway. Uh, I think what surprised us the most was the turnout. The turnout was wild. Like we got to, I remember getting to Lansdowne Pub. Um, the first one was Cask and Flagon. Got to Cask and Flagon about an hour before the show. And we already had a ton of people like ready to kind of swarm into the back area that we had our uh, our stage set up. So that was really cool, man. I mean, we put a lot of work a lot of work into it. Obviously, uh, Jared does starting nine as well. He has his Barstool requirements. I do my stuff at Bleach Report full-time. Uh, but we treat this podcast very seriously. We give it a lot of time, a lot of effort, and we put a lot of, uh, I don't know, creativity, a lot of thought into it. And so the payoff of everybody having the shirts – and knowing the catchphrases of the show and everything, and then showing up to the live shows was really, really cool. That was uh, probably one of the highlights uh, since we've since we've started doing the show. One of the highlights is definitely seeing that turnout. Yeah, I think the wild thing, I think, from a lot of people who listen to your podcast, and if anyone doesn't, if you're a baseball fan, Red Sox fan, definitely, definitely should tune in, is you guys do have that that well-known intro, and the crowd was was chanting it back to you. What was it like to hear that? That was wild. I know the fun, the funny part is that we were having <clears throat> excuse me we were having a lot of issues with the mics and the uh, speaker setup. So and and that's not like we there was a separate kind of company that was in charge of setting up you know the mics, setting up the speakers and everything. And not to throw them under the bus, but they didn't do the best job. Let's put it that <laughs> way. And so we're about to get ready. We're ready to go. Everybody knows the topics. We're all in our specific spots that we would normally be in studio. And um, and people can't hear us. And so I'm just like, no. It was a nightmare Like you know, for a couple minutes there because we were like, are we not going to be able to do this? Like The place is packed. You got people, like I mentioned, in Section 10 gear. And like everyone's ready. And I, I, I kind of stress about this stuff. I want to make sure people get the same experience they would get if they were watching us in studio, if they were watching us like at Barstool. I want to make sure that it's the most authentic Section 10 experience we can provide and just make it a really good show. And it didn't seem like it was going to work. And then luckily it did. Luckily it was good enough. It wasn't great. But we got the mics to levels that were good enough, that were uh, audible enough, loud enough that they could hear. And we wouldn't have even really need to say anything for the intro. If we just got it going, I think everyone would have been able to finish the entire thing because Jared got going and I just saw the smile on his face because like we just kind of, we had a brief moment after that intro where I just kind of looked at it and was like, this is, this is wild, dude. Because <laughs> that, was, that was absolutely insane uh, that everybody knew the words. They know the words to the ad reads. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll be doing my SeatGeek ad read and everyone knows... All the all the lines. That's crazy. Ad reads like it, there's no reason. I skip through all the ad reads when I listen to other podcasts. But um, but yeah, that was awesome. That was. Um, I mean, it's more motivation for us to do even more live shows this year. That's for sure. 
Yeah, no, it was a really cool, just to see it on social media, it, it was wild. Now, I did want to take it back to, to, to before you joined the podcast, before Bleacher Report, when you were at Nesson. Uh, so I read an article that in 2015, you actually noticed that former Nesson Red Sox reporter Gary Streisky uh, made an appearance on the Section 10 podcast, and which at the time was hosted by Jared Carabas and John Feidelberg. You then apparently reached out to Carabas through LinkedIn to see if his show needed a producer, and the rest was history. Is, is that all accurate? And if so, what attracted you to the podcast in the first place? Yeah, initially it was Jared and Pete Blackburn, actually. Pete, I know, is more of a hockey guy, um, but him and Jared had kind of linked up. I don't know what started their connection, but I, I did hear it initially because of Gary Streisky. That's my guy. We were working together at Nesson. He was an anchor. I was a production assistant at the time, um, so we would work a lot of highlights, uh, you know, writing scripts for these guys on air, doing running you know post-game sound back from the Red Sox and Bruins. And it was cool being in that atmosphere at Nesson because it's the first experience I really had in that kind of a setting working full time. I went to Endicott College and they, they kind of require three internships, which helps a lot because by the time I got to Nesson, I was kind of ready to go and kind of knew what to expect from that environment. Uh, but yeah, I heard Gary was on, he was their first guest on episode 11. We're on, geez, we're on episode 237 now, but that was back in uh, 2015, episode 11. He was the first guest they had. And he retweeted the link uh, from the Section 10 account. And I was like, what is what is this? This is interesting. I didn't even know who Jared was at that point. I think a lot of Red Sox fans did. I'm kind of surprised I didn't. But I, the thing that pulled me in, which is kind of funny because it's a controversial thing with our show right now, is the intro. Mm-hmm. And the intro pulled me in because it was the, the kind of the Fenway Oregon. Uh, it was the... Fenway PA guy saying the names of Jared and Pete, like, you know, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Section 10 podcast. I was like, whoa, they got the PA guy to do the intro by episode 11? That's pretty good. And um, and then I heard Gary, and it was just, I don't know, it was real. It was real conversation. I feel like we have a lot of, a lot of shows now, and I think now it's a little different. In 2019, I think companies understand the value of uh, laid back, kind of shooting the breeze, kind of shows because I feel like that's what a lot of people want. I think Barstool's had a huge hand in uh, kind of bridging the gap between suit and tie people on a desk compared to just us talking back and forth like people normally would. Um, if they're on their couch, if they're at the bar, that's kind of what sports talk is all about. Instead of these guys just kind of yelling at you all their points, and so I, that really you know, got my attention. And I was talking to Gary about it. I was like, yo, like, how, did you have fun? He was like, oh, it was awesome, man. These guys are really cool down to earth. So I reached out to Jared on LinkedIn. I, I have never reached out to anybody on LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn is a, it, I mean, I understand its purpose, but like, unless you're, you know, looking for employment, it's kind of useless. And uh, his DMs were closed at the time. I didn't know what his email was. He didn't, I think his Facebook was private. I mean, this kid was trying to hide from somebody, uh, but he, his, his, you know, messages, we're getting through on LinkedIn. So I, I just sent him a long message being like, I, I did a radio show in college. Uh, I've worked at Nesson for a couple of years. So I have the editing experience now. And it just so happens they were looking for a producer. So it, it lined up perfectly. But yeah, I, messaging people on LinkedIn, kind of weird, but it worked for me. It, it definitely it definitely worked for the podcast. Hey, I'll have to keep that one in mind. You know, I got you with the, the Twitter uh, direct message, which has worked out well. But you know, you never know about the LinkedIn one, I guess. I know the Twitter DM is kind of normal at this point. We've reached out to some players and gotten them on the show via that. I think that's more common at this point. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, when in doubt, go to the LinkedIn, the LinkedIn messages, whatever they're called. Now you mentioned two interesting things, um, right, right there in that last, last answer that I wanted to expand on a little bit. Uh, the first thing was kind of what, what attracted you to the podcast. It does really seem like the podcast loosens guys up, whether it's MLB players. Um, and and again, you said it's about that laid back vibe. Is that a goal to try to loosen guys up to get out of that? Uh, you know, cliche answers that a lot of these players give in, in the normal media? Yeah, my, my least favorite thing in the world, and I know I've gotten on Garen Austin before, the Red Sox sideline reporter, just because I think she asks the most basic things ever. But I, I want to make sure that when we're interviewing these guys, we're not doing that that just useless stuff. Like, so you went three for four today. Can you talk about that? Can you talk about that is the dumbest thing ever. That's such a lazy question, and it requires nothing from the reporter. Like, just sticking a mic in their face and saying, talk about it. Um, so we try to uh, – we, we talk about, you know, their experience growing up, where they came from, what they like to do outside of baseball – um let's say hypothetically they liked a, a ig models picture on instagram we might bring that up be like what's that all about we want to get the stuff that people want to hear and that they don't hear in those useless post-game interviews and to your point we want to create an environment where these guys are comfortable and where they want to um kind of give us that that feedback give us that content that we can roll with because they know we're not out to like get them so to uh, speak like i know some of the reporters um, in general, and I know, you know, for, for clicks reasons, sometimes they feel the need to do this to get these guys to say that huge headline grabbing thing uh, that will, you know, inevitably get them more clicks and their their company or whoever they work for will uh, look at them in a better light because they got the big headline. They made JD say this or say that or David Price, you know, flipped out on me, all that stuff. So I want to make sure that when we're doing these interviews, we keep it professional. I mean, I'm, we're not going to put these guys in a corner where they're uncomfortable, um, but still be able to kind of talk about stuff that they normally don't talk about with other people. And I think we've done a good job at that so far. Yeah, I think you've done a very good job. And I think that's why your podcast and, you know, a lot of Barstool podcasts and a lot of Barstool content is very popular because, you know, it's, they're getting in this laid back vibe. There's a lot of personality. And I, I think the current state of the sports media field and the sports media market is really interesting. And I, and I wanted your take on that. And you talked about it, a little bit before, but in the past, there always seemed to be this divide uh, from my perspective between the quote bloggers and the quote journalists or big J journalists as people, <laughs> people kind of joke about it, right? The, the super fans versus the quote impartial writers. But yeah. it almost seems like these two opposite sides, it's, it's being blurred together a little bit. And, you know, you look at a place like Bleacher Report and Bleacher Report has a ton of personality. Um, you know, it seems like more of an up and coming trendy type of place to work. What, what do you make of the current state of the sports media field in these kind of two polar opposites? And do you think they're coming together more? Do you think they're, they're staying apart? What, what's your take on it? Yeah, I think it, we're in a unique spot right now because I understand the value of the reporter. I totally get that they have a lot of value, the in-the-dugout person that's getting the quotes, that's getting the stuff for the newspaper, even though the newspaper is becoming completely irrelevant. Um, but I feel like this is I, – I, I've never invested – as much time or effort into anything as I do right now. Like I invest a lot into Bleach Report and I invest a lot into the podcast because I understand it's not just doing well now, but if we put the right amount of effort into it, this is kind of where sports is going. Right. And it, it's where it is and it's where it's going. It's going towards a casual format, something that you can consume at any time of the day. Podcasts, I love podcasts just because I can 
um, throw them on at any point. And it's something that if you do enough, which during the season we do two, two a week, it's still relevant enough a day or two days after. It's not like it's going to be that much different uh, if you do it Wednesday or you do it Thursday in terms of listening to it. So I think we're in a position now where it's pretty clear to me uh, that your typical reporter that you know goes into the goes to the game, gets your pregame quotes, gets your postgame quotes. That kind of stuff is just fading. I think we're getting to a point now where people would much rather tune in uh, to our show, listen to what we the forty five minute interview we had with JD Martinez in the dugout. Um, you know, talking about his his habits at Dunkin' Donuts before he goes to the game. I think people would all like rather hear that than talk about your. You're one for four night. Are you about to go on a slump? Like I, I, I just that kind of stuff bores me to death, and it's so repetitive. It's just like repeat, repeat, repeat every single day. It's the same article. It's published the same way. Um, so I think we're finally getting to a point where, and thank thanks to social media, because if Twitter and Instagram weren't this big a deal, we could probably still be at the point we were ten years ago uh, when you still had a big divide between reporters, players, and fans. Because that that's where newspapers were more important. That's where articles online were more important because you needed to bridge the gap between the fan and the player. And now we have JD and, and Brock Holt and other players following our Instagram and engaging with our content. So that completely bridges the gap right there and kind of shows us that, wait, we can just keep building this this monster, so to speak, and, and there's really no end in sight. Yeah, and I think... You know, it was interesting to watch, you know, Gary, as you talk about your friend. And I think he was Gary Streisky. I think people started, uh, people were mixed of the opinion on Gary Streisky when he first started the Red Sox, uh, you know, sideline reporter. That's, that's my guy right there. I you love know, Gary. Gary I, I think it was some people were mixed in the beginning, but I think at the end he was absolutely beloved. And I think it was, he was very unique because he brought personality and a, a certain type of uniqueness to the job where he didn't give the basic sideline reporter talk. And you're talking about it right there. And I think people want that. So I, you know, I think it's, it's a good point. I, I think social media has been huge to, to really bring everyone together. You're, you're spot on there. But I did want to transition it back to your podcast. So you know, you t- you've been here now uh, a few years, I guess 2015 to 19. But so you know, it, it's been popular. But last year, it really seemed to blow up. Uh, you know, was there a moment since you started a few years ago when you realized, wow, a ton of people are actually going to be listening to this? Was there a specific time, whether it was a year ago, two years ago, where it really hit you that this was going to be something something special? Yeah, I think we started selling merch uh, at the end of the 2017 season. So um, for I, I feel like that the, it was an instant correlation between that and me realizing how widespread the audience was, because you never really know the numbers and Barstool kind of keeps some of the numbers uh, away from us, which is fine. I, I think they, they want to internally see how the shows are doing and they'll give us, you know, quarterly feedback on, on where we're at. And it's always good to hear that Section 10 is right up there with some of the, the bigger shows that they have, which really shows the, the effort we put into it. It also shows the audience and the passion they have, because I mean, we're really doing a show about one baseball team, Whereas a lot of other shows are covering like like PMT really is like the NFL and is like football as a whole. So I'm I'm impressed that we can maintain or at least hold our own uh, with some of those shows, considering that they would naturally build or um, include a larger audience. But I think I don't know. I think we're at a point now where it's 
it's like we're getting pictures of people in Section 10 shirts all over the globe. Like, it's wild. We had a dude. So we had some some issues with our intro. The Fenway Park organist kind of got on our case for using a YouTube clip he had posted, like, six years ago. We've been using it as our intro since 2015. But he decided now was a great time uh, to flip out on Twitter instead of just asking us to not use it. That was interesting. But one thing that really jumped out to me with all of that, there's this dude that listens to this show from Australia and he had he's like a, he's an organist and he sent us a clip and it's basically the exact same thing as the intro piece that we got rid of because this guy complained so we have somebody now that's like yeah use it man this is all yours from australia i was like that's absolutely insane but yet the fact that i didn't even find it that weird like when i read the email at first he was like so and so uh i think he said like nick from australia love the show keep up the good work and like in theory i should be like wait what this dude, this dude from Down Under is like giving us the damn intro. But the fact that we're now at a point where that's not even that weird is kind of shows how far we've we've come. Um, but yeah, I, I think to, to get back to the original question, I really started to notice it at the beginning of 2018 because I, I made this Section 10 shirt map. Uh, and I'm going to do it again this year and see if we can beat the the date we had last year, but it basically had a logo of every MLB team laid out on the map of the United States. And I was just asking the people, put it out on the Section 10 account, and if you send us a picture from this ballpark, we will then light that logo up, and that's essentially your, like, you have crossed that one off the list. So we got all 30 teams in, like, a month and a half or something like that. I think it was still kind of cold out by the time we knocked out all the ballparks, and that was so eye-opening to me because I didn't think... I thought it'd be like a season long thing. I thought it would be August and we'd still have like five, six parks left. Uh, we got them all knocked out by May. So that was, that was definitely eye opening. Um, but yeah, I, I just think overall as the season went on, don't get me wrong. It helps that the team was amazing last year. It, their success for sure elevates us to another level because people are going to be more invested in the show. Uh, but I think we also had a lot to do with that with selling the merch, doing the live shows, uh, pumping out a lot of fresh content, getting good interviews. That, it's kind of that's kind of all in the in the mix as well. But um, but yeah, the shirts. I think the merch is when I really started to notice it early last season. Yeah, I think there was a picture on your Instagram when you and Carabas were signing a baby with potentially like a Session <laughs> Ten shirt. Did you think you'd be doing that when you're at Nesson in 2015? No, I didn't think I'd be doing that at any point. Even if the show, even if this show got like massively successful, I did not think I'd be signing a baby. But uh, that was insane. They, that was a couple. I think from Florida, I forget where they uh, where they're based out of, but they were sending us pictures last season in Section Ten gear in like four or five different ballparks. Uh, so Jared and I definitely recognized them, and we noticed in some of those pictures that the wife was it was pregnant, and you could tell the pregnancy was uh, getting to month five, six, seven. And then it was funny by winter weekend they had the baby, and the baby was in a Section Ten onesie that they custom made. Because I looked at Jared, I was like, the Barcelona doesn't sell Section Ten baby onesies. Um, and sure enough, yeah, they had gotten a custom made section 10 baby onesie. Like what planet are we on? That, that is insane. My dad laughed. He was like, you gotta be kidding me that someone actually made that. Uh, but that was crazy. I mean, they're a really cool, really cool couple, really cool people. And, um, I, I had to ask him twice. I was like, you sure you want me to sign your kid? Like, this is kind of a weird, kind of a weird thing, but, but no, we did it. And the video is hilarious. So, um, 
that was great. I don't know how we're going to top that. Cause like, <laughs> that's such a weird thing. I saw Dansby Swanson doing it a, a couple days ago and everyone was tagging us like, yeah, copyright infringement. Like, you know, <laughs> section 10 did this. I'm like, whatever, man, you know, more, more babies sign the merrier. I, I guess. Yeah. You know, I, I, <laughs> I think, you know, you're doing well when you're signing babies. Yeah. I, I looked at the, the post and I, I almost couldn't believe that he was wearing a section 10 <laughs> shirt because I was thinking there's no way you guys make baby shirts for with section 10. <laughs> <laughs> they just don't they just don't and, and like i had to ask first because i was like because jared normally works with the merch people uh we'll talk ideas and we're going to try to make new shirts this year but jared has a direct connection with the the merch guy and we'll talk about ideas for uh for shirts there's no way i, I knew immediately that there was no way he had talked about a baby onesie that, that just wouldn't make much sense at all but maybe we got to start selling those i don't know maybe that's the next step i got a couple more questions for you i'm going to try to wrap it up because again i don't want to take too much of your time um you know I, I can't have a podcast with you and not ask about brock holt <laughs> uh, you know every red Sox fan has a love fest with this guy i don't, I don't think you guys are no different I feel like you've interviewed him at least a couple of times. Now, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, two times, yeah. What, what was it like interviewing Brock? And can you think of another Red Sox player that is as likable as this guy? No, Brock's number one. I, I, I have so much respect for him because it's so hard to do what these guys do. And I understand it's so easy to get say, oh, they get paid millions. Blah, blah, blah. It's the grind of baseball is an absolute grind. Like I've, I've said this to many of people. If you just plopped us on the earth right now. And said, hey, your favorite sport is going to be 162 games a season. I would laugh in your face. That's that's ridiculous. That That is that's preposterous. That, that makes no sense at all. And they're flying all over the country, trying to take care of their families, trying to hook people up with tickets, do these media responsibilities. It's a, it's a grind and a half. And Brock somehow maintains... This great attitude. He's able to keep these players together. He'll engage with stuff we post out there all season long. Uh, he has a great sense of humor. He can make fun of himself. And um, he checks all the boxes, man. He, I, I mean, in terms of checking all the boxes, he for sure does that as a great podcast guest. I mean, that, that's the guy that I would love to have on monthly, honestly, if we could. Like, he, he gets it. You don't really... Certain guys are a little stiff, and they don't really... They aren't as used to a podcast format. They're used to those BS questions we were talking about, like you went two for four. Um, Brock gets it. He gets it. He got it from the jump. I remember the first time we had him on, he had just been dealing with vertigo, and people were giving him tons of crap on on social media about hitting like 200. The guy was seeing two baseballs at a time when he was at the plate. Like I, I don't blame him for having a bad season uh, when he had concussion problems. Like that's It's hard enough to hit a fastball when you have 20-20 vision. So... I think Brock handled that with uh, with class. I think when we had him on this year, it's, I mean, arguably the best interview we've ever had. And we've been lucky enough to talk to a lot of people at this point. So um, I got nothing but respect for him. And he said I would be on his duck boat this year if they win the World Series. So obviously, I'm going to be a big Brock Colt guy. <laughs> I heard that. Yeah, and I listened to the podcast. I think that was, that was it was a great interview. Any, everyone should check it out. And I think you guys posted an Instagram video today of him mic'd up on ESPN. He was awesome today. He was gold, man. Gold. Oh, it was classic Brock Holt. You know, he's in the, for those in here, he's in the outfield. Hadn't played in the outfield for a while. It was sunny. Didn't want the ball. And of course the ball gets hit to him in his, in his area. But, but anyway, I want to, uh, a couple quick, quick questions for you about predictions for the season. Then I'll let you go. Yeah. Uh, you know, I saw on the section 10 Instagram account, I think it was today, uh, they always have a couple of quotes from you or Carabas, and this was yours. You, you're talking about Pajura, and you said, 
By the time we get to May, there's a good chance we're looking at PD as an offseason addition. We didn't even factor in. So I guess my question for you going into this season, you know, again, he's a guy that you don't even think about. You forget about. They won without him. And he, he was arguably their yeah. best player, the MVP. So can Pajoya stay healthy and can he be productive uh, this year? Yeah, I think the, uh, the the reason we were a little hesitant, and, and Jared had brought it up, I was going to start talking Pedroia after we got to see him play in a couple spring games just to see how he was looking. Um, but initially, I think the biggest thing that we realized is last spring training, we were all in on Pedroia, and we went into the season being like, y'all got no respect for this guy. He's going to have a huge year. And then he got hurt like the third game. We're like, all right, let's, uh, let's delete the tapes. Let's delete the tapes. And we're like, you got no respect. Um, but no, I think we've, we backed off a little bit on Pedroia just because this has nothing to do with him as a person, as a player. It's just about his health. We want to make sure um, that this guy can get through a season, and he's not going to be expected to play every game, not even close, really. I mean, if he plays in 90, 100 games, that would be a huge win for the Red Sox. So, I mean, that quote I totally hear, um, you know, where, where you're coming from pointing that out. But I, I think that's more – I'm more on the optimistic side with that because I think he's going to be shuffled in there with, um, with Nunez, with Holt. Uh, so there's not going to be a huge requirement for him, which is a big deal. The fact that Brock Holt is coming off one of the best years of his career uh, and Nunez had his had his moments, um, that's a big deal for Pedroia because it's not like they're asking him to be the everyday second baseman right now. He can actually ease back into uh, being a full-time, part-time second baseman. And we love the guy. We're a very uh, pro-Dustin Pedroia podcast. He has meant so much to this team. He'll probably get his number retired by the Red Sox. So I would very much just give anything for him to kind of go off uh, into the sunset this next maybe two, three years. Who knows? Maybe injuries again shorten that. But I really don't want our last image of, of Pedroia being, uh, you know, on the bench in the 2018 season. Like that's just kind of a it's a weird way to say goodbye to PD because I feel like we quickly forget this guy just two years ago had 200 hits. Like, I mean, that's. That's ridiculous. I feel like we're looking at him like he's in a wheelchair now. He he is more than capable at the age of what thirty three of uh, of producing to this team and um, and meaning meaning a lot. So I, I'd I'd be surprised if he if he gets hurt again, just because I feel like it just can't. I'm playing the odds here. I feel like it can't keep happening. But um, but yeah, hopefully hopefully PD. I said thirty three. He's thirty five. But hopefully PD. Can can still have let's say two to if you if he gives us two to three more years I would be insanely happy so we're we're pulling for that yeah you know I think I think uh, Pajoya's on the Brady timeline at this point you know you you see where he goes but uh, last question uh, you know a <laughs> big question are Sox going back to back again this season Uh yeah because I'm gonna be on a duck boat so <laughs> I I need them to win so badly that was uh, I was so pissed about that but whatever we're past it um I don't know I mean it's it's I mean, the, the neutral fan of me would just say no just because of the odds, but they have the best chance of the American League to get back to the World Series. I think the killer for me in hearing Cora say this today or yesterday was that they might not even have a closer. I kind of assumed, even though their bullpen's not loaded by any means, someone would be deemed the closer. And I understand that role is getting different and is changing year by year in baseball. But if you go into this year without a closer, that's a little insane. So... I don't know. I was hoping Kimber would come back. I totally understood the luxury tax stuff. You would have had to pay a pretty penny to get Kimbrell back on this team. And who knows? I mean, I, I think it's like a 5% chance he's back, but he's not anywhere. So maybe they sort something out. 
But um, that is a big concern for me. If they're not going to win the World Series, it's 100% going to be because of the bullpen. And uh, I, I still I still see them winning the AL East. I really do. I, everyone everyone is taking the Yankees. I'm like, did we not watch last season? Like, it's the same Red Sox team minus Kelly and Kimbrell. So I, I don't I don't know why all of a sudden the Red Sox MLB tweeted something out. They're, they're going to win 90 games? 90 games? <laughs> like, they just won 108. And I, I'm not saying they're going to do that again, but... They're going down 18 games because of losing a couple guys in the bullpen? I don't know. I, I find that to be crazy. So in a perfect world, we'd have a couple more Sox-Yankees fights. That would be great. And it would be a legitimate AL East race where the Yankees actually show up this time. That would that would be <laughs> great. Um, but yeah, I think the Astros, if they're fully healthy, watch out for them. People don't really talk about the fact that Correa and Altuve were nowhere near 100% in the ALCS. That kind of got conveniently uh, dropped from the narrative, but... Um, I think we focused so much on the Bregman stuff, we forgot that their two best players were uh, kind of dinged up. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm honestly more worried about the Astros and the Yankees. I don't think the Yankees pitching staff is, is should really scare much of anybody. Uh, the Red Sox rotation is better. Their bullpen obviously has issues. But you, you see teams sign bullpen pieces throughout the season all the time. So if they really need to get somebody, they'll get somebody. I'm not, I'm not overly worried about it. They'll make a trade. Um, so I, I think the Red Sox do win the American League again if they win the World Series. I think that's to be determined. All right. Well, Steve, I'm going to have to let you go. Great stuff. You know, I say this to a lot of my guests, but, you know, you especially, I had millions of questions going in before I got through half of them. But, you know, it was, it was, it was great talking to you. And really, uh, thanks so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Let's, uh, let's do it again when there's actual games to talk about. Absolutely. Well, make sure to follow Steve on Twitter and Instagram at Steve underscore Peralt. And check out the Section 10 podcast on Barstool Sports. Also, make sure to tune in to Bleacher Report. They always have great content all the time. Uh, Steve, thanks again so much. Now, I want to switch gears to the Celtics as we wrap up this podcast. In, in last week's podcast, Christopher Tyler and I really ranted and invented about the Celtics' really struggles all season long and the chemistry issues and Kyrie Irving and, and the frustration with him and his talk with the media on a daily basis. And... Last week, the Celtics had lost five, in a, five out of six, and they really had a lot of struggles post-All-Star break, which is very frustrating to see. Because as we talked about in last week's podcast, the Celtics have had a pretty good season, but they've had underachievements, and the expectation was that after the All-Star break, they would get it together. And they really didn't, after losing five out of six. Kyrie Irving had more negative comments to the media. The team just did not look good chemistry-wise again. But after their embarrassing loss to the Houston Rockets about a week ago, they had this big plane ride flight uh, for for their road trip to L.A., and they've talked about, the team has talked about the significance of that that flight. And, you know, I guess the question you have to ask if you're a fan is, you know, did that flight make a difference in terms of the team going forward? After that plane ride, they won three out of four. Unfortunately, they lost last night after having kind of a sluggish loss to, to the hot Clippers. But before that point, they had won three in a row. They had a lot better body language. They came out right after the loss to Houston, and they, and they killed Golden State. Gordon Hayward had a great game with, I think he had around 30 points. It was really Hayward's, probably Hayward's best game of the season. And... Just the whole body language of the team was better. Kyrie Irving's body language is great, I thought, with his teammates, giving guys high fives, taking charges, 
um, against the Clipper, against the the Lakers. He took a charge against LeBron, even though they called it a block. It was really a charge of so sacrificing his body time and time again, diving on the floor. So you know, in those few games, I love what I saw from Kyrie Irving in terms of his play on the court. All, everyone on the bench was up all game, and it w- it was very it was very visible and apparent the difference in that game specifically against the Warriors with how the team and the bench responded to to the play during the game. Everyone was up all the time. They looked like they were having fun in response to Marcus Morris's comments earlier in the season where guys were really not having fun and they weren't having fun together. It looked like a team that would actually, was actually buying in. So I guess you know one question you have to ask is, as I said, did that plane ride make a difference for this team going forward? Have they solved their issues? You know, obviously, as we've discussed, they've had stretches where they've had good success, such as winning nine nine out of ten earlier in the season. But again, the inconsistencies and in the in the just the lack of consistent play, they've had bad stretches where even if they've gone on a good run, they really couldn't get it going consistently. So yes, they won three in a row, but have they solved all their issues? Probably not. You know, <laughs> when I see. There's a part of me, I, I love the body language from Kyrie. I love the body language from the bench, everyone up, up, especially against against the Warriors, which in that game, everything just clicked, right? Everything clicked for this team. Um, you know, as I said, Hayward was awesome. He made everything. Uh, really, everyone was hot on the Celtics, and the Warriors just did, didn't show up to play at all. And, you know, that, that really has something to do with the, with the blowout win. But, you know... You know, in a way, it was frustrating to see the body language, the good, the positive body language from the team and from the bench in particular. Because you know, one thing, I'm, my first thought is, where's this been all season long? You know, for basketball teams, y- you shouldn't need a plane ride to get every to have everyone engaged, to have everyone on the same on the same page and actually caring and caring about your teammate's success and getting up on the court and having a good time. Uh, you know, dancing, whatever, yelling, standing up, you know, all the things you saw against the Warriors and, and recently where, where we've seen the better body language from the bench and people into it more, it shouldn't take, you know, three quarters of the season to get to that point. Now, obviously, it's a positive they're at that point, but, you know, the pl- the Celtics had struggles, right? They had struggles five to six games. They then, then they played great against the Warriors and won three in a row. And... It's very easy to have a good soul-searching moment on a plane, and then you play well and everyone's into it. Because, you know, it, it's very easy to be engaged and to have a good time when you're winning and things are going well, to have your teammates back when things are going well. So, you know, it's great they had the plane ride in. You know, I, I don't doubt that it had an impact to get people locked in to figure out what's really important. Because you see it all the time with teams, whether it's a team meeting, there's always certain moments where in a season things can flip with a team if they figure it out chemistry-wise or if they, they talk about what's going on. And it does seem like Kyrie, given his latest comments about even apologizing for how he's acted and what he said to the media and calling up the guys, that something does seem different at this point than earlier in the season. So I will absolutely buy that. However... And I think Scal said this on the on the on the broadcast last night with the Celtics game is I need to see how this team reacts during hard times and when they have some adversity 
And what are they going to show resiliency? Are our guys going to be up on the bench when they're losing, when they're not doing well? Because it's as I said, it's very easy to to be all in, to have a nice team meeting or whatever they had, soul searching, whatever they had on that plane ride, and they play beat the best team in the league, the Warriors, even though the Warriors have been inconsistent as well. But it's very easy to be have good energy and have have this resurgence and looking like you're having fun as a team when things are going well. But what I'm gonna be looking for before the playoffs to really show me that they have changed is when they do have a have a poor performance like against the Clippers, how are they going to bounce back and how is the bench going to look? Because to be honest, they look sluggish again last night on Monday night and it just looks like more of the same struggles. And I've said it multiple times and I'm, and I'll say it again. You know, the the Kyrie comments to the media, yes, it's annoying listening to him to on a day-to-day basis. But at the end of the day, it's it's how they're playing on the court. You know, it really doesn't matter if they like each other, if if they can play well together on the court. Chemistry is huge. You don't need to be best friends with someone and having, you know, quote, fun on, on the bench to be playing well. And so even though the Celtics showed that they were having fun on the bench in the last few games, especially against the Warriors, and they did play better, and the morale seems better, I still see signs from this team that concerns me. And when I say that, the big thing, as I've talked about a million times, is the isolation basketball and guys taking turns. And even against the Warriors, I look at a guy like Terry Rozier, and again, it just seems like guys like Terry Rozier, and I think it was Rozier particularly in the Warriors game, there were four or five possessions, and it didn't matter in this game, but there were four or five possessions where he went ISO one-on-one. Terrible, terrible flow to the offense. You know, dribbling the ball out. People complaining about Kyrie Irving doing that. I think uh, Terry Rozier is a lot worse of, than Kyrie of just holding the ball for a, for a whole 24 seconds and then going up himself. And that's what I'm going to be looking for from this team. Is are, is the flow of the offense better? Are guys moving the ball? Because, you know, wh- whether Kyrie is taking a lot of shots or whether Marcus Morris is taking a lot of shots, the thing I always look at with this team is, is, is the ball moving and are guys making quick decisions? And, you know, when, when you got guys like Terry Rozier to get his, even in the Clippers blow, even in the Warriors blowout, you know, he's getting his, his ISO one-on-ones. And then you got Jason Tatum ISO one-on-ones. And they're not making quick moves and the ball's not moving. The flow stops. And that's my real concern going forward is, yes, I you know, I want to see how they respond to adversity, but I want to see how they play on the court in terms of ball movement. Because, you know, we talked to a million times, Celtics basketball is all about team ball movement, team play, uh, making quick decisions. And, you know, if there's one thing from this team is that it's guys going ISO, taking turns, taking too long by holding the ball and not moving the ball. So, you know, yes, so the Celtics, you know, pretty good road trip, three out of four. Unfortunately, they had the loss to the Clippers, which you could kind of see coming after being in L.A. for I think it was six days and having four games. You can see that the, the Clippers' loss, honestly, doesn't concern me. Um, but I think going forward, you know, it, as, as, as I finish the podcast here is, you know, did the plane ride, is that going to propel this team to finally find what they've been looking for all year to get into the playoffs? You know, at this point, I'm 50-50, and I think the play on the court through the rest of the season will probably tell you whether it did or not.
If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to check out my other episodes on the Wicked Local North of Boston website or on my social media accounts. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Robbie McKittrick for the latest podcast information. Thanks so much for listening.